Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. Today is a great day to be alive. It has been a lovely week here in the Treasure Valley. The weather has cooled, fall is upon us, trees are changing into a variety of beautiful colors. All this is happening as Halloween is approaching. You may not know this, but Halloween was originally a Celtic festival known as Samhain. The Celtics believe the dead walk the earth on this night. Has anyone else been thinking a lot about death lately? I mean, yeah, Halloween is coming up, and for those who don't focus on looking sexy during this holiday, dress up in grotesque costumes designed to remind us of death. Also, we're in the midst of a pandemic, which is wreaking havoc around the globe. Well, depending on what you believe. I mean, I guess COVID could be made up, but regardless of what you believe, the constant illness reminders force us to at least contemplate our own demise, which brings me to the point of this podcast. Death. Now, I don't want to take an overly negative tone, so let me start with saying that life expectancy is progressing very nicely for humankind. I'll get into more details in a minute, but the reason I wanted to chat about death was that I was having an interesting conversation recently regarding developments with the disease known as COVID-19. Some news sources are reporting that COVID-19 antibodies don't last indefinitely, and some people never develop them after contracting COVID. If you're unaware, antibodies are what give us immunity to a disease. There have been reports popping up of people catching COVID a second time during the second wave or third wave, a really long first wave. I'm not sure how we clarify different waves of diseases. But anyway, the ineffectiveness of antibodies and susceptibility to catching the disease a second time got me thinking about ramifications for the future, our future, as the human race. Well, more specifically, I was thinking about my future, initially at least, but my thought process applies to everyone. Follow along with me here. If the coronavirus forever remains in our population, which I'm convinced it will, kind of like the seasonal flu, and people are likely to catch it multiple times in their lifetime, then I will probably die of coronavirus when I get older. I was bummed to figure this out because I was under the impression I still had a few years before I would be considered middle-aged. But it looks like the arrival of COVID may buck the trend of middle age being pushed out and suddenly dial it back. What if... This new virus maintains its stranglehold on the elderly, which of the 200,000 or so coronavirus deaths here in the U.S., about three quarters are of people over the age 65. Does that mean from now on we can only expect to live to 65 or 70 before COVID gets us? Will we adapt as a species to avoid death from this virus at an elderly age? Or will the fact that the deadliness hits us outside our usual breeding peak allow COVID to hover over us menacingly as a glass ceiling of death? I guess we'll find out. A quick note, the Spanish flu from 100 years ago, which developed into today's seasonal flu, was very deadly to those in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, which may have affected adaptation to this ubiquitous illness, as those that died stopped passing on their genes. People who are dying of coronavirus have likely already passed on their genes. They're outside of that peak breeding age. Unless you're a really rich white dude, I don't think it's a peak. It's just an endless plateau. I'm hoping COVID doesn't become our new natural age cap. I'm hoping that people that catch it and then catch it again experience milder and milder forms of the disease as time moves forward. Also of note, viruses usually evolve to become less deadly as it helps their goal of procreation. So overall, I'm optimistic. The discussion about the deadliness of COVID did get me curious about death in general, though. It sent me down a proverbial rabbit hole of death, and I learned some really interesting things. The average life expectancy of a U.S. citizen is 78 and a half. Here in Idaho, we do a bit better than the national average. Our life expectancy is just above 79 years. Way to go, Idaho. It's probably that extra time we spend outside. Anyway, that's all you need to know. Go outside, you'll live longer. 
Just kidding. I found my investigation into death really interesting and worth sharing. I think the best way to talk about death is to start at the beginning, which is death at the beginning of life. You've probably heard the term infant mortality thrown around. Infant mortality is defined as the death of a baby before the age of one. Infant death is something that I believe any living and breathing human feels sad about unless you're a psychopath. The thought of a baby's soul leaving its shell before its first birthday is definitely a more painful thought than, say, the description of this death of a man named Matthew, as reported by DarwinAwards.com. Matthew and his friends were sledding down a mountain ski run on a foam pad at 3 a.m. when he crashed into a lift tower and died. He was riding a makeshift sled of yellow protective foam he had stolen from one of the legs of a lift tower. The tower Matthew ran into was the one from which he had stolen the foam padding to make his sled. That's a bummer, Matthew. If you're unfamiliar with the Darwin Awards, they're named in honor of Charles Darwin, the biologist who discovered and wrote about natural selection and evolution. They're awarded to individuals who remove themselves from our species breeding stock due to their own stupidity. The website is good for a morbid laugh or two, and it helps you feel better about yourself, or at least makes you feel pretty lucky about some of the narrow misses you've had. The Darwin Award stories are easier to laugh about because the death happened to adults, grown-ups, humans who should have learned and known better at the time of their demise. Youth is associated with innocence. Death is more tragic having missed out on life. In modern society, we forget that early death is the norm for most animals, and it used to be the norm in our species. Throughout most of human history, it's estimated that a quarter of babies died before the age of one and half of children died before puberty. Think about that for a minute. Think about how important the advances of medicine have been. Today, the global average of infant mortality is 29 deaths out of 1,000 live births, or 2.9%. Here in the U.S. specifically, it's only half of a percent. Today, the death of a child or a sibling is a tragic event for families and communities. Imagine having a sibling and the odds being about 75% that at least one of you wouldn't make it to adulthood. If you're not following my 75% math there, it's a 50% survival rate for two kids. So the odds of both kids making it are about 25%, like flipping two coins and having them both land on heads. In the past, the death of infants and children have been a large factor in reduced life expectancy. This is important when thinking about the calculation of life expectancy. Life expectancy is an average. When people normally think of an average, they think of a standard distribution, where the average, also called the mean, is equivalent to the mode, which is the most frequently occurring number. I'm a teacher, so the most obvious way to explain this is letter grades. If you have a class full of kids, most of the kids get the average grade. Most kids are C students. You get a few kids that fail, and you get a few students that are A students. There are more B students than A students, and there are more D students than F students. If you were to graph the number of students that received Fs, Ds, Cs, Bs, and As, you would get what resembles a sloping hill. This is a standard distribution. Think of the profile of a hump on a camel's back. Before modern medicine, all the early deaths in the human race were dragging down the overall life expectancy, but that doesn't mean that the average person died at the average age. It was more of a bimodal distribution. Bimodal as in two modes, two most frequently occurring numbers. A bimodal distribution would look like a camel with two humps. Early on in human history, there were a lot of early deaths and a lot of late deaths, although not as late as today's 70s and 80s, but relatively speaking, the young deaths dragged down the average. It would be like mixing together a group of NBA basketball players and horse jockeys, measuring how tall they all are, 
then reporting that NBA players and horse jockeys are, on average, six feet tall. That would be a true average, but there wouldn't be many individuals within either group that were actually close to six feet tall. Most would be closer to five and a half feet or six and a half feet, depending on the profession. This is how it was with life expectancy until even recently. There's decent life expectancy data from England that goes back to the 1840s. Back then, the average life expectancy at birth was about 40 years old. But if you survived until about 20, the odds are that you would make it to 60. And then if you made it to 60, you were likely to make it to 70 or over. It's interesting to look at data from that time onward because there's a giant dip around the time of the Spanish flu. That flu caused the life expectancy to dip from about 54 years old to about 41 years old in a year's time. The crazy thing is that unlike COVID, the life expectancy of those over 50 hardly wavered during those years. With modern medicine, that difference in lifespan between the young and the old isn't as pronounced. Using the same data from England, currently, the difference between a newborn's life expectancy and someone in their 60s is only about three years, 81 years old for the baby and 84 for the 60-year-old. The difference is still there as babies are more susceptible to various ailments than adults, but we've come a long way. <clears throat> Vaccines. Aside from infants and grown-ups, there's another major disparity in life expectancy that's actually growing. Worldwide, the life expectancy of women is longer than men. Here in the U.S., it's still nearly a five-year difference. That may not seem like a significant difference, but statistics and averages can be subtle. That five-year span an average age of death makes a big difference once you start looking at larger numbers. Using U.S. Census data from 2010, there were about 4.8 million males in this country between the ages of 75 to 84. That same age range of women had a population of about 7.4 million. 4.8 million to 7.4 million. Keep that in mind if you're a young man having a hard time finding a woman to love you. Just stay healthy, because if you make it to 75, there will be plenty of widows with ever-dwindling options. Anyway, the gender gap in life expectancy hasn't always been present. Childbirth used to be much riskier, but with modern medicine being so efficient at delivering more healthy human beings into this world with less collateral damage, we're seeing that women probably have the biological advantage when it comes to living longer lives. Looking at life expectancy data by first world countries, there is no question of, is there a gender difference in lifespan? It's how much longer do women live than men? The XX chromosome pair has many biological advantages over the XY. First and foremost, let's look at genetic abnormalities. If you're a boy with a mutation on your single X chromosome, that mutation will be expressed. Girls have a backup copy, so right from birth, they have a lesser chance of suffering from genetic mutations, as they would have to inherit two copies of the same gene on both X chromosomes. These diseases are called X-linked recessive disorders, which range from conditions as mild as colorblindness to Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which kills most sufferers before the age of 30. But even if you were to put aside genetic abnormalities, there is still the matter of the healthy individuals. The gender hormones, estrogen, and testosterone are likely a key factor in long-term survival. Estrogen is beneficial by helping the body to store fat subcutaneously, as in all over the place, right under the skin. The notorious male beer belly is associated with an unhealthy heart and other organ function. Basically, doctors are finding that packing a whole bunch of fat around crucial organs is not good for you. Therefore, body fat content being equal, females have much better organ function. 
So estrogen is beneficial when it comes to fat. And unfortunately for dudes, testosterone is not conducive to longer life. It may not be directly damaging our internal organs and cells, but it has effects more cerebral in nature, as higher levels of testosterone are associated with violence and risk-taking. For example, risky and unhealthy activities such as smoking are much more likely to occur with men. And again, visit the Darwin Awards and do a quick sampling of stories. Men are definitely winning the race of these stupid, dangerous, and deadly activities. I guess my entire voyage through death research helped me realize that there are lots of factors that will inevitably be associated with my eventual demise. There are countless studies that correlate endless virtues or vices to longevity or shortevity. Shortevity isn't yet a recognized word in Webster's Dictionary, but since you understand what I'm saying, I'm deeming it an English word. Anyway, there are lots of factors that help and hurt your odds of living longer, but ultimately, there's only one thing that we should be concerned about with life, and that is to live in this moment right now and enjoy it. Then tell your friends about it because podcasts are spread by word of mouth. 